Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and my guest in episode 39 of the Everything USC podcast is a college football analyst for Fox Sports, co-host of Sports Talk Radio Show on KLAC 570 AM, and can be seen on The Challenge every week following Sunday Night Football on KNBC in Los Angeles. I am, of course, referring to the former USC football team captain, Petros Papadakis. Petros, thanks for coming back for your second appearance on the Everything USC podcast. Well, I just, I love you, Nara. What can I say? It's great to be back on the show. It's great to believe in something. If I only believed in something as much as Graham Harrell believed in the air raid, I think I'd probably be a much happier person. (laughs) I think we all would if we all believed as much in the air raid as Graham Harrell. (laughs) But if you enjoy listening to the show, of course, you can subscribe, download, and rate it on all of your favorite podcast directories, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or go right to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports. Find and follow me there, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Petros, do you want to let the people know all the places they can catch up with you? No. <laughs> I'm at the old P on Twitter, and uh, I work on the Petros and Money show, at Petros and Money, and the same on Instagram. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. In last week's episode of the Everything USC podcast... I cautioned the Trojan faithful to not get too excited about beating a mediocre Washington State team and said that this team still had a long way to go. However, I wasn't expecting the manner in which the Oregon State Beavers would show how long USC's road back to relevance really is. The Trojans got the ball first, and on a third down near midfield, Taj Washington couldn't haul in a sliding catch, and the ball popped up right into Rajon Wright, as he was trying to make the tackle, and he instead ends up with an interception. The Beavs would convert the turnover into a 27-yard TD catch by a wide-open Tegan Quatoriano to take the early lead. SC counters with a five-play 75-yard drive, culminating with a seven-yard touchdown pass from Keaton Slovis to Gary Bryant Jr. on a drive in which Oregon State committed two 15-yard penalties, something that would become a bit of a theme for the night. 
On the ensuing possession, Chance Nolan would drive the Beavers down to the USC 8, but Isaac Taylor Stewart picks Nolan off in the end zone on a play that required the replay booth to overturn an incomplete call on the field. Trojans turn that takeaway into an 80-yard drive aided by three straight defensive holding calls on Oregon State, and it ended with Keontae Ingram picking up a drop snap by Slovis and running it in for a nine-yard touchdown to give USC a 14-7 lead. But from there, the Beavs pretty much had their way with SC for the rest of the contest, getting two TD passes from Nolan in the final three minutes of the second quarter. They would go into halftime with a 21-17 lead and cruise to a 45-27 win. Slovis would throw for 355 yards, but three interceptions. Drake London, his usual good game, 10 receptions, 165 yards. And Ingram got 79 yards and two TDs on 14 carries in his first game as the featured back. But the SE defense allows Oregon State to rack up 535 yards, 322 of those on the ground. Couldn't record a sack on Nolan, who was an efficient 15 of 19 for 213 yards and four touchdowns, adding 57 yards rushing as well. B.J. Baylor, the running back, for the Beavs, 23 carries for 158 yards. Tyjon Lindsay goes over 100 yards on five catches, two of which went for TDs. And inside linebacker Jack Coletto not only had an interception late in the game, but he also came out on offense as a Wildcat quarterback, or as they call it, the Wild Jack, and scored a couple of touchdowns on short runs. Petros, you called the game for FS1, so you saw all of this unfold as the Trojans lost to Oregon State in the Coliseum for the first time since 1960, snapping a 24-game home winning streak in the series. If the Beavers hadn't committed 14 penalties for 154 yards, nine of which gave USC first downs, it might have been even worse than it turned out to be. I think you can make the argument that SC played more poorly in this one than it did in the Stanford game, which resulted in Clay Helton losing his job. How did the Trojans manage to look so bad once again at home? How did they manage it is that's who they are. I mean, that's exactly what their identity is. And I think that a lot of people, including USC's own defensive coordinator, saw it coming. They saw the fact that they do not have an answer for the real physicality of a team that wants to run you over and run the ball and line up two tight ends like the guy you mentioned, Tegan Quatoriano, the other one, Luke Musgrave, and just road grade you. And I don't know, you know, the penalties, a lot of those were penalties. You know, some of them were ticky-tack, but a lot of those were penalties and I think very much part of Oregon State's game plan. They were going to be really, really aggressive and shock USC with their aggression. And that's exactly what they did. So how does that happen? I think going into the week, USC worried that Oregon State was going to try to push them around, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I think that Oregon State knew that they had an advantage with some of their personnel and their identity with the offense. And I think it just kind of continued to pull the sheet off of and reveal what USC's been for the last six years, seven years, maybe more, just really not a team that can step into the trenches with anybody that really wants to do it. And the Beavers do. And uh, despite their, obviously their big recruiting breach between the two teams, USC 
with a bunch of five-star guys. They didn't recruit anybody that's on the Beavers team. They didn't offer anybody on the Beavers team. But you could still come down to the Coliseum and embarrass them if you have a better identity and you want to do it, want to run the ball. And that's what they did. It's pretty simple. Yeah. And another thing I mentioned last week in trying to preview the game was that it seems like the roles have flipped. USC used to be that team that was physical and would want to run the ball and then establish the pass off of the run. And they would play these teams that had a lack of talent, per se, and those teams would have the gimmick offenses. And now USC is the team running a gimmick offense against these teams like in Oregon State that will come in and push USC around. And how do you get a change in that to salvage this season? Because we know this team is what it is, right? But can you salvage this season with what you have and with the philosophies you have? Well, you're not going to all of a sudden, you know, teach Croman Hoke or, you know, any of these tight ends. That's not who they are. They're not attached players. They're not blockers. The offensive line coach is Mike Leach's offensive line coach. He knows the air raid and big splits. Graham Harrell came from North Texas. You're not going to get under center and all of a sudden run student body, right? This is the identity of the team. This is what a lot of USC fans have bought over the last few years and cheered for and apologized for. So that's it. This is exactly what it is. And running an offense like that sets your defense back in a lot of ways. It sets your defense back in a game because – Obviously, time of possession, three and out, not being able to protect a lead, being able to come back when you're down a bunch. You know, all of those things are characteristics of, of somebody who runs this type of offense. And it strains a defense. There's no doubt about it. Anybody that plays with pace strains a defense on the other side of the ball. And then the part of it that I think is kind of more hidden, but a lot more glaring when you see what Oregon State did is the fact that USC doesn't practice tough. They don't have the personnel to give the defense the look, even with a scout team or anything, that, hey, we're going to run the ball at you. We're going to attack you. You can't simulate that during the week. You should be able to if you're USC and the level of people you have in the staff and on the field. That should not be an issue, but it has been for years, and everybody's bought into it. This is what you have for the next two months. And it's going to take a long time for a new coach to repair. It's not a quick fix. Right. And one of the reasons people may have been excited going into this one was the previous week against Washington State. The true freshman Jackson Dart comes off the bench for an injured Slovis, has a huge game, sets a record for the most passing yards in a debut by any Trojan quarterback. But he took a big hit to his right knee in that game. He was limping around, and it turns out he needed to have surgery for a meniscus injury. He's going to be out for a while, it looks like. So how do you think USC handled that whole situation? It seemed like they were trying to hide the fact that he was hurt for most of the week. And does that help a guy like Keaton Slovis, who's getting a lot of pressure on him from the outside, that he might lose his job when everyone inside probably knows that Dart can't go? Well, uh, everybody obviously knew that Dart couldn't go. Uh, The reason you keep it as close to the vest as possible for as long as possible is because you're forcing Oregon State to spend time preparing for somebody they're not going to see. 
So, you know, you only have so much time with your players. And if you're spending half that time preparing for a quarterback that is not going to play, that gives USC a preparation advantage, or at least that's the theory. So inside the building, everybody knows that. And that's just football. You know, it's not the NFL. So you don't have to tell anybody anything about who's hurt or how hurt they are because of the convoluted rules in college. So actually, that's one of the smarter things USC did during the week was not tell anybody what the situation was. Slovis knew that he was going to go. Everybody knew that Slovis was going to go. What does it mean for Slovis emotionally? I mean, I don't really know if Keaton Slovis is USC's problem. I think he's a pretty good quarterback. He's been hit a lot. He hasn't finished the last two seasons upright. He really got hurt in the Holiday Bowl by A.J. Epinesa, who just knocked Tua Tagovailoa out for a few weeks or whatever with Miami in the next level. So Slovis isn't the issue. and They don't protect him well because the offense doesn't protect a quarterback well. I think what Slovis needs to do is salvage this season, play as well as he can, protect himself, get rid of the ball when he has to, try not to take as many hits as he's been taken and transfer somewhere where his skill set is going to be more celebrated next year and get out of the way for this Jackson Dart kid and whatever the new coach is going to do with him. That's interesting. I think a lot of people are thinking that Jackson Dart is the future. So if Keaton Slovis doesn't feel like he's the guy going forward, that would be smart for him to move on and go to another place where he can play. And We'll see what happens with that. Again, this is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest this week is Petros Papadakis, Fox Sports college football analyst and former USC running back. You can find this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Subscribe, download, and rate it. Or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. On social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N A R A W E N G Sports. Hey, everybody, this is Ryan Lee, former Washington State Coog, and you're listening to the Everything USC Podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. All right, now let's take a look at the game coming up this week against Colorado. It'll be in Boulder starting at noon Mountain Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Pac-12 Network and on radio KABC 790 AM. Colorado comes in at 1-3 on the season, lost the Pac-12 opener for them last week at Tempe against Arizona State. Their only win is in the season opener against Northern Colorado. They follow that with a loss in Denver against Texas A&M, where they kept it close against the Aggies, only losing 10-7. to But then they went back to Boulder the next week and got absolutely crushed by Minnesota, 30 to nothing. So they have been struggling so far this season. Their head coach is, of course, Carl Durrell, his second year there with the Buffaloes. He's 5-5 five and five overall, 4-3 and three in the Pac-12. He is, of course, the former UCLA Bruins head coach from 2003 to 2007, where he won only one game against USC. But, of course, that's the famous 13-9 game that ruined USC's chances to go to a BCS national title game. And in the all-time series between these two teams, USC has never lost 14 wins 
in the series against Colorado. The last game they played was two years ago because the game last year got canceled due to COVID issues with USC in 2019. 35-31 USC victory. In that game, the Trojans trailed 31-21 going into the fourth quarter, but two Michael Pittman Jr. touchdown catches in the final 15 minutes led the comeback on a cold Friday night game in Boulder. Wide receiver KD Nixon, who transferred to USC for this season from Colorado, actually had two touchdown catches for the Buffaloes that night. None of the SC players who scored TDs for the Trojans just two years ago are on the active roster, as Pittman, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Tyler Vaughns are in the NFL, while running back Keenan Christen has been temporarily removed from team activities. Some of the key guys to look for on the Buffs, they've got a fourth-year sophomore running back, Jarek Broussard, who was the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. So far this year, he's got 188 yards and two touchdowns. Their second-year freshman dual-threat quarterback is Brendan Lewis. Hasn't been throwing the ball that great this year, just completing about 52% of his passes for 313 yards. He's been sacked 10 times so far and does have 132 yards on the ground. They've got Brendan Rice as their leading receiver with seven catches for just 44 yards. He is, of course, the son of the Pro Football Hall of Famer Jerry Rice. Another guy they were expecting to be a big wide receiver threat for them, Levante Chenault, the younger brother of former Buffs star wide receiver LaVisca Chenault, who's now with the Jacksonville Jaguars, but he's been suspended indefinitely since after the season opener, and it's the third suspension he's had at Colorado. On the other side of the ball, couple of experienced players to look for. Inside linebacker Nate Landman taking advantage of the extra year thanks to the COVID pandemic returns. He's been all Pac-12 first teamer the last two seasons. Leads a team again this year in tackles with 42, 34 of them unassisted and five for loss. And they're going to get Defensive end Mustafa Johnson back in uniform for the first time. He received an NCAA waiver, allowing him to rejoin the team after going undrafted and unsigned in the NFL. He was second team All-Pac-12 last season, first team in 2018. In his career, he has 131 tackles, 29 for loss, and 16 sacks in three seasons with the Buffaloes. So what does USC need to do to bounce back and get a win in Boulder? It's not going to be easy. Going on the road in conference is hard. At least it's not the time of year where it's super cold, but it can be. So they need to eliminate mistakes and and have a little bit more discipline and kind of be able to start the engine of their offense a little sooner. And maybe to be a little more dedicated to the run, it looks like they really got Ingram going last week and then sort of abandoned it. And that's kind of an identity thing. I think it's going to be an adventure every game from here on out, because when USC is not playing well, the rest of the conference smells blood in the water. And it's an opportunity to get a victory over what's supposed to be the premier team in the conference. It hasn't been really for a decade, but I think it's going to be difficult, but I think Colorado is very limited offensively. They have a freshman quarterback, going from Texas. You mentioned Broussard and Landman, and those guys have been great stories, but 
this year they just haven't really translated anything into, uh, you know, coming back in games or securing victory. They played at A&M really tough, like you mentioned, but the rest of it has left a whole bunch to be desired. So I think it'll be a sloppy game and a relatively close game. But I think that obviously with the talent advantage, USC should win every game that they play in from here on out other than Notre Dame. But that's not going to be the case. And we've been saying that for how many years now? SC should be winning these games, and yet every game seems to be an adventure with them. That's what eventually led to Clay Helton being fired, and we're going to see what happens as they go through that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But with the road game in Boulder and it being kind of an early start, do you think that'll have any effect on how USC starts the game? Because I think they need to get off to a quick start and basically put it to the Buffaloes quick. Otherwise, you let them hang around and they gain confidence. Even if they did build a lead, you know, the kind of offense USC runs is not conducive to shutting the door. So I, I think it'll be wild no matter what, unless Colorado is just unable to do anything offensively. But with the way Oregon State ran the ball, you know, when somebody runs the ball on you, like Oregon State ran the ball on SC on Saturday night, it's kind of like getting a punt blocked early in the season. You put on tape, all your opponents see it, everybody's going to try to do that to you. Because why not? If you put that on tape that you're going to be run over, then everybody's going to try to run you over. And like you said, the best player Colorado has is Broussard. So if they're able to run the ball on SC, I think it'll be a fun game and uh, it'll go down to the wire. An early start does affect college kids. You know, it affects pro football players in the West Coast going East, something people talk about all the time. And everybody tweaks their schedule and tries to figure out the right formula to handle it. College kids are much more susceptible to uh, not being able to go right when the light comes on. And uh, I think that's something for a young head coach in Dante Williams, who's still trying to figure out his way logistically just week in and week out on what he wants to do with the football team and how they want to handle, you know, when they practice, when they eat, when they talk to the media, all that different stuff is now up to him. So uh, we'll see how it goes, but I wouldn't be surprised if you weren't correct, if they don't start out slow. And obviously as part of your duties doing the game last week, you got a chance to talk to Dante Williams. How do you think he's doing so far with the circumstances he was thrown into? Well, I think he's doing the best he can. Uh, He's a guy that USC wants to keep around, obviously, not as the head coach, clearly, but as probably the assistant head coach and the recruiting coordinator. And whoever they hire as the new head coach, unless it's a deal breaker, I'm sure will be required to keep him around for a couple of years. And if they like him, sure. If not, then find another job for him. But I think he's trying his best. I mean, he's not going to be able to change the scheme that much. And he's not going to be able to change the coordinators. So they are going to be who they are. But at the same time, you know, he changed padded practices already. He went from one padded practice a week to two, which is good. That's something that they needed to do, I think. Didn't translate on the field that Saturday, but it shouldn't hurt going forward. It's something that they should have been done. They're not a pro football team. They need to hit each other during the week. So he already has done that and tried to instill some discipline here and there. But, I mean, how much can he do? Not much other than just try to change the mentality and 
keep everybody rowing the same boat. No pun intended with PJ there. <laughs> and now it is time for us to do, I know it's your favorite segment of the show. It's Why do you make me, no one makes time. me do this, Nara. No one makes me do this kind of thing, but I'll do it for you. That's how much I love you and Brian Biederman. I appreciate it. Brian Biederman, of course, your director on the game this past weekend. I worked with Brian for a very long time at Fox Sports. That's how I know him. But again, I'll recap what happened last week with Marcus Grant of the NFL Network, who was my guest. We took two defensive guys as the players we believed in. I went with Kanai Mauga, ended up with six tackles. He took Drake Jackson, who only had three. So I will take the players we believed in barely, because really the defense was not great. But Mauga with a slightly better game than Jackson, so I get the win there. Uh, I mean, this, you're trying to give yourself credit for that. I mean, come on. Did Mauga have a better game than Jackson? I mean, whatever. I, no one did. I agree. No one did. But between the two. All right. If, that's, if, uh, if, if you tell me I can't take it, I'll, I'll take your I mean, word. You have your own special scoring system to where you can sit here and celebrate yourself the next day when no one's around. You know, Grant's not here to defend himself. I'm just sitting here like, I don't know what happened. All right. If you're saying that Mauga is not. I don't. I'm not saying anything. Go ahead. All right. What, what, what was the other prediction? And so we both picked a score. I took USC 34-20. He took SC 30-10. to Obviously, we were both wrong there with Oregon State <laughs> winning. And so no one gets a point for that. And then in our prop bet pick, Nara's no doubter. I thought there would be nine-plus punts combined by both teams. In actuality, there were just five. And for Marcus, his was called Taken for Granted. And he actually nailed his. He said Keontae Ingram would run for two touchdowns. So he gets credit for that pick. So we each get one pick correct. So on the season, I am tied with my guests. Three wins each with a couple of ties. So Petros, now I'm going to pick with you. The players we believe in for this week for USC, who the Trojan MVP is going to be. And I haven't picked them at all yet this season, so I'm going to pick them now. I'm going with Drake London to be the player I believe in. Who do you got? I feel like I believe in Slovis. I think he's going to bounce back. He's had a rough time, but I think he'll bounce back in Colorado. And if uh, London's going to have a good game, then it means Slovis is probably going to have a good game. And that'll be an easy way for you to claim victory over me next week when I'm not around. Hey, if Slovis has a big game, he will be better than London because he'll. I don't, have... I don't trust you. No, you'll just have to tune in for the next episode then to make sure that I'm on the up and up. But I listen. I always give my guests credit if they beat I don't me. Know. I don't know, Nara. All right. Well, here we go. The game score. I'm gonna let you go first. What's the game score and winner, Petros? Oh gosh, I think USC will win thirty-four to twenty. Thirty-four twenty USC is what Petros is picking. Are you writing it down? I'm writing it down. 34-20, a 14-point win for USC, which is currently a 7-point favorite on Bet Online. Bet Online, of course, a sponsor of this show. And for me, I thought Why about it get, long and hard. You get me in trouble getting me all involved with the betting world, Nara. I'm not getting you involved at all with the betting world. I'm just letting <laughs> the people know for their entertainment purposes what the line is. So for me, you know what? I might get in trouble for this with the SC people. I don't really care. I think after seeing Oregon State win for the first time in 61 years in the Coliseum, 
I think Colorado is going to get their first win ever in this series. I think they're going to take it 24-20. So I'm going against SC. I think Colorado is going to get a home win and make this season even more of a suffering for USC fans. So we'll see how that goes. And then now it's time for the prop bet pick. My pick for Nara's no doubter for this week is that there will be a combined five plus sacks in the game by both teams. So at least five sacks we will see on Saturday afternoon in Boulder. And Petros, last year you called yours Petros's prop pick. Are you going to stick with that name? And then what are you going to go with? What did I do last time? Last year, you called it Petros's prop pick. Oh, okay. well, you know, that makes sense. There's a lot of alliteration there. Right. What is my prop pick this year? Well, you know what? I'm going to say Ralphie the Buffalo this year. And you know, Ralphie, the Colorado mascot, is actually a girl buffalo because uh, a boy buffalo would knock everybody over. Too aggressive. It's true. It's always been a girl. This year's Ralphie is exceptionally small. So my prop bet is that none of the cowboys or cowgirls are going to fall over like they usually do while they're running Ralphie across the field to start the game. So on the Ralphie run that begins every game in you Boulder. You need something in game? No, it, no. Because I, mean, I can go in game. No, no, I mean, I it, it does not. I'm just trying to confirm that on that Ralphie run pregame, you are going to say that no one takes no a fall. Going down. The Ralphie's small and decrepit this year. All right. Kind of like the Colorado football team. Ooh, wow. If that's your prop bet pick, we can take that. I'm going to have to figure out how we can confirm for sure if they don't show it on television, though. Oh, they'll show it. But let me give you something. You know, I know you need to keep. You're a big scorekeeper. I know. I can tell. So uh, let's figure something out for the game. I think Broussard will have over 100 yards. Broussard over 100 yards? Yeah. That's a solid pick, I think, by you. And listen, I'm going to give you double credit. If you get both. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Whoever your next week's guest is, is going to bask in my glory. There you go. You're going to go down with two prop bet picks, and I'm going to give you credit if you hit on both of them. How about that? Cash me outside. (laughs) All right. So to recap our predictions for the week, the players we believe in, I'm going with the wide receiver, Drake London. Petros taking the quarterback, Keaton Slovis, for the score. Petros sticking with the Trojans, 34-20. I am choosing to go with the Buffaloes, 24-20. And in the prop bets, Nara's no doubter. There will be at least five sacks combined by both teams in the game. Petros's prop pick is actually two pregame in the Ralphie run. None of the Cowboys and Cowgirls running out with Ralphie will take a spill. And during the game... Buffalo's running back, Jarek Broussard, will go for at least 100 yards on the ground. Bingo! So we will see next week how that turns out and whether the guests can go up on me on the season. Right now we're at 500, but we'll be tallying that all season long. Again, this is Nara Wang. This is the Everything USC podcast. My guest this week is... Former team captain in 2000 of the USC football team, Petros Papadakis. Now a college football analyst for Fox Sports, co-host of the Petros and Money Show on KLAC 570 AM as well. And if you want to catch this podcast, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And go to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com for this show, plus so many others. Go to 
Social media at Believe Podcast as well. For me, I'm on Twitter at Nara Wang Sports, N A R A W E N G Sports. And everyone knows where they can find Petros Papadakis. Yeah, uh, yeah, Nara. You know how to get to him. Yeah, yeah. This is Adrian Branch, ESPN College Basketball Analyst. And you're listening to the Everything USC Podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. Petros, you've been one of the most vocal critics of how the USC football program has been run in recent years, pointing out many of the shortcomings that have plagued the Trojans and ultimately led to the dismissal of Clay Helton. For this final segment, I'd like to let you have the floor to tell the people what you think our alma mater needs to do to restore the team to a level that will allow it to compete for national titles and who they should bring in to be the new head coach. Well, I think that it's going to be a process that obviously they're committed to because otherwise I don't think they would have allowed the firing of Clay Helton to happen. I think Rick Caruso way up in the board got a hold of the power to get this done, which makes me feel like he also has a hold of the power to hire a new coach and pay the coach and allow the coach to staff. And I think that's the most important thing that uh, they get out of the way and let somebody be the head USC football coach and hire his coordinators and hire his position coaches, you know, probably keep Dante around. But other than that, you know, they need probably a transfusion of sorts. Maybe they keep a couple of alma mater types around like Kerry Colbert, and Lenny Vandermeer. But, you know, for the most part, I think they just, they need to be a more conventional football blue blood model. They have to hire a nutritionist. They have to look, at all their personnel. And I think they need a blood transfusion. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, look, the great example is when Clay Helton got the USC job, the first two people he called were not like Brent Venables and Tom Herman or, you know, Mario Cristobal or, you know, it, the first two people he called was his brother and his dad's best friend, Neil Calloway and Tyson Helton. And he hired them both as the O-line coach and the O-coordinator, prominent jobs at USC, you know. So they need to do better than that. And they need to be allowed to pay those people to go about it. And they need to make the team hard and physical. And similar to what is going on up at Oregon, they need to dispel the myth that you can't develop offensive fronts and defensive fronts in the same way on the West Coast anymore. Obviously, you can. You see what's going on in Eugene. So who can do that? I mean, there's a lot of guys that could do that. I think they should lock Matt Campbell in a room before the Big 12 falls off and see if he's ready to leave Iowa State. I think, you know, the most obvious choice is right in front of our face. It's Luke Fickle, who knows Mike Bohm from Cincinnati, and they have a long relationship. And that kind of seems like the obvious choice. But... I think they need to get a guy who's been a head coach, who knows how to build a football program, who knows exactly what coordinators he wants to hire, and that understands the USC tradition and understands that running the ball and offensive line and good defense are the key to success because you're not going to have a Heisman winning quarterback unless you have those other things. Yeah, I've always said that with the talent that USC would be bringing in, you don't need to run – 
these spreads, air raids, or any kind of type of offense? You well, can... I mean, Oklahoma's a spread. Sure. Ohio State's a spread, but they're not a gimmick. You know, they're physical in their spread. It's it's the fact that, it's, you know, USC runs an air raid. You know, they don't pull guards. They don't gain momentum physically through their offense. They don't punish a defense. And, you know, Oklahoma and Ohio State, who are spread teams, they do. They do punish a defense. So it is a little different. Right. There are spread teams that have pro concepts, though, right? Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, they pull. It's not a pro concept. I mean, it's just football. You know, you pull guards. You run power. You know, you're not just zone running all the time. You do different things with the offensive line that is run-oriented. You shift and move and motion at the line of scrimmage. You notice C does not do much of that. You know, when you do that, the defense has to move and readjust. It puts a strain on them. Uh, USC doesn't. They just line up and go. And it's very different from what a blue blood program, as you say, should be doing. And some of the names you brought up are really tied to the Midwest. Luke Fickle, of course, played at Ohio State, grew up there. Matt Campbell's basically been in that area for most of his career. Do you think you can convince guys like that to come out to Los Angeles? Would they want to come out to the big market of L.A.? Sure. I mean, I don't know. You'd have to ask them. But, you know, I mean, money is a big thing. And being the guy that resurrected USC football is a great opportunity. Pete Carroll took it and ran with it. And he wasn't the first choice way back when. So, you know, unfortunately, that's why we're here today. You know, Pete Carroll was out of control, wouldn't listen to the powers that be at USC, got him in trouble. And then USC became very gun shy and has only hired coaches they feel like they can control in the last decade. Plus, and that has blown up in USC's face, and now we're here. So they better hire somebody with a great integrity about them and a real dedication to the job. And the names I mentioned, I think, would work. But, I mean, James Franklin, anybody would work. I mean, you just have to get out of the way and let them recruit and let them develop a run game and let them coach. Yeah, I agree. I think if you bring in the right coach and let him do his thing and you put the money into the program and, like you said, get out of their way, USC can easily turn around because recruits in this area are among the best in the nation. And if you can keep some of them home, SC can always recruit nationally because it's a brand name. You can turn this program around. It just, I think, feels right now that that is so contingent on who they hire and Everyone and their mother, it seems, is involved in being a candidate for this job because it's such a high-profile job. So we shall see what happens there. And is there any final word you have for the Trojan fans to get them through the rest of this season, Petros? Fight on. Good luck. Enjoy the year. Disfruten los juegos. Enjoy the games. All right, so for my guest, Petros Papadakis, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 39 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in L.A. and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, please remember to fight on. Was the guest Marcus Grant of the NFL Network, host of uh, NFL Fantasy Live, another former uh, Trojan, one of my old roommates from USC back in the day. 
many roommates did you have? How many roommates did I have? I had a few roommates during my time at SC. Floor Tower. Floor Tower was one of my stops. Web Tower as well. I began in Trojan Hall my freshman year. Where, where did you live back in uh, your Trojan days? Off campus. <laughs> Downtown, Koreatown, 30th Street for a little while. You were a, a little bit more out there than I was. I stayed close to campus during my four years. Yeah, I hated everybody. You might be surprised to know that. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.